0: It's PNN, and I'm your host, Brooke Hines. It's January 10, 2021. It's a whole new year. Oh my God. So many things happened this week. I don't even know, I don't even know where to start. I mean, like, what there is to talk about, of course, we need to talk about the insurrection, the parlor pooched the uh, incelrection, as I've been calling it. So we'll be doing a lot of that tonight. Uh, We've also got Rick Spizak talking to Dennis Campbell from Across the Pond. And, of course, they will be addressing the situation in D.C. Also, Janine Maloff with The Justice Report this week she is talking about the Tea Party and the GOP as purveyors of racism and Nazism uh, as we saw this uh, past Wednesday and she has a piece that she's that she wrote a whole decade ago that is, you know, everything is old. That is old is new again. This is one of those occasions. So she'll be sharing some uh, thoughts that she wrote around the time of the shooting of Gabby Giffords. Um, if you remember that, she said she says to me, ten years later, it still holds true. What happened on the sixth was not surprising. Uh, some of us warned about such possibilities, and those warnings were ignored or minimized. And uh, you know what? If you're on the left with the, with the rest of us uh, on this program, you're probably familiar with, you know, having your warnings and your uh, uh, your hair on fire situations going ignored by, by people. I mean, in the last few years, I've had these incredible flashbacks to and not the good kind to the Reagan administration and remembering back to when you know things were getting broken really really broken for the first time and uh you know we were saying back then you know we're never going to be able to put this back together this is this is breaking the seal and uh you know, it's it's going to be downhill from from there. Now it took quite a while for that to actually uh, get ahead of steam, and um, of course, you know, Bill Clinton and the Clinton administration did quite a bit to affect that. Um, unfortunately, uh, we have not asked enough of our Democratic. Uh, lawmakers who are in power, whether they're in the executive office or in Congress or at any level of government, once we get people in office, we tend to just be thankful that they're in office and we need to ask for more and we need to demand more because if we're not filling that space, other people like what happened in D.C. this week are going to be filling that space. Um, I... Want the idea that I want to share tonight that I think is really important is that uh, we need to go forth with some sort of accountability process. Uh, There's a couple of ways to go about this there's uh, impeachment, there is the 25th Amendment. And there is barring Trump from holding office again. There, So there's a couple of ways to go about this, a couple of three ways. And I think it's really important for those of us who were critical of the first impeachment proceedings for very good reasons to, to have a look at what needs to be done right now, because this is different. And... Uh, And what's getting ready to happen on the 20th uh, during inauguration and then going forward is uh, we're not going to see these people go away. We're not going to see this movement go away. This is this is uh, a part of the ecosystem at this point so what needs to happen is we need to address it head on and i think that the first thing that needs to happen is to tie trump's hands so that he can't come back and do more do more harm now impeachment uh several re- resolutions have already been drafted or are in the process of being drafted uh the privileged impeachment resolution privilege means it goes faster it was authored um by uh, Uh, at least three members of the house that's gained the most traction it's secured 210 co-sponsors as of tonight the resolution recounts how trump incited the mob that quote unlawfully breached the capitol injured law enforcement uh, personnel menaced members of congress and the vice president and engaged in violent deadly destructive and seditious acts by any measure, it's a high crime. And in doing so, betrayed his trust as president to the manifest injury of the people of the United States. Assistant House Speaker Catherine Clark of Massachusetts says, quote, we can use procedural tools to get articles of impeachment to the floor for a House vote quickly. All right. That's important. How quickly? House leaders are likely to ask the House Rules Committee, which is expected to meet on Monday, tomorrow, to approve a fast-track strategy that moves the measure directly to the floor for consideration as soon as Wednesday. McConnell is dragging his feet, suggesting that the Senate cannot act before January 19, just one day before President-elect Biden is inaugurated. But impeachment supporters believe that rapid House action will meet the urgency of the moment, put pressure on House Republicans who have condemned the president uh, to take tangible action and establish a framework for rapid Senate response if Trump creates more trouble, as many suspect he will in coming days. Now, there is good reason to expect more trouble. All right. I'm going to circle back to this in just a second. And uh, we do have a lot going on tonight. So uh, so I want to dash through this stuff pretty quickly. Barring Trump from ever holding office again. On Friday, when House Democrats discussed responses to Trump's incitement of insurrection, there was some discussion of a 14th Amendment strategy. And me and Cardick talked about this the other night. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, it's it's down, just look one show down below this one. Cardick uh, Krishnoyer and I, uh, the day after the insurrection Uh, sat and worked through a lot of these issues. And we discussed the 14th Amendment strategy for barring Trump from holding office in the future. Section 3 of the amendment declares, quote, "No no, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of the president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress and so on and so forth, uh, if they have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution of the United States or given aid and comfort to enemies thereof. Now, Section 5 of that amendment, uh, which was enacted after the Civil War with an eye toward preventing supporters of the Confederacy from returning to power, vests Congress with the authority to adopt appropriate legislation to enforce the other parts of the amendment. Now, Pulitzer Prize winning historian Eric Foner suggests that the House could, with a simple majority vote, censure Trump for inciting insurrection and effectively bar him from running for again for the presidency. This can be invoked against anyone who has ever taken an oath of the constitution. Okay. So that would, that would fix that problem. He wouldn't be able to, to run again. What some people are also afraid of is that he might uh, start pardon, pardoning people who were arrested and are continued to be arrested in this in, insurrection. Uh, the impeachment would take care of that, and in, invoking the Twenty Fifth Amendment would would take care of that. So there's a there's a couple of different ways to do that. All of these are on the table. Honest to goodness, if we had had a real impeachment process in the beginning, instead of all of this make believe fairy tale Russia stuff, if we had addressed emoluments, if we had addressed the corruption you know, we would have been able to curb some of this. And and we didn't. And it was tragic. And this is why people like me had our hair on fire. And, you know, we're of course, again, no one listening to us had our hair on fire and we're like, this is a bad idea. This is really not good. We really shouldn't be doing this. Um, but here we are. And now is the time and now is our opportunity to at least put the brakes on what is going on, uh, what is getting ready to happen. Now, there is a lot of evidence that uh, either on the 17th or on the 20th that there will be another round of um, uh, violence in D.C., that this is not going to go away. And somewhere here here I go I've got a video here that is this is circulating on parlor that's p-a-r-l-e-r parlor which is a uh, uh, social media tool that is uh, uh, favored by members of of the right okay um this is almost three minutes long. I'm not gonna play the whole thing. I just want you to get the flavor of this. This is what this is where people's heads are at that you know aren't the kind of folks that that we talk to. So get a load of this.
1: The time for excuses is over. Now is the time for strength. If you want peace, you must stand strong. At all times. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. Today, you end one chapter, but you are about to begin the greatest adventure.
0: All right. So, as you might imagine, this is a video that is uh, with all the swelling music and its images of Trump. And, you know, he's he's telling you know this is this is something that is produced by his people and being pushed out to the right wingers on right wing social media and it is it is with the intent of carrying this further okay this is um this is uh, uh, they're calling it the new revival they're the the reawakening uh it's um this is this is mythology this is that um, this is opiates for for the masses uh, let's hear a few more seconds
1: January 20 will be remembered as the day the people became the rulers of this nation again if the righteous men do not confront the wicked few then evil will triumph you came by the tens of millions to become part of a historic movement, the likes of which the world has never seen before. Now we are calling for a great reawakening. When these
0: Okay, the great reawakening or the great awakening. This is what they have in store. Now... <laughs> This is not like, this is not like when somebody loses an election and it's close, like during um, Bush v. Gore, um, and and people felt like let's just look at let, let's just take Bush v. Gore. During that, people were uh, were aware that. There was 530-some votes between W. Bush and Al Gore. And that the vote was stopped, the counting of the votes was stopped in Florida by the Supreme Court. And if the votes were allowed to continue, they would have, uh, surely, uh, most people believe that they would have... uh, uh, redounded to al gore's uh side and he would have been president rather than george w bush and you didn't see okay you didn't see al gore uh uh, literally didn't see him fight for for that i have heard from people that there was a negotiations behind the scenes that Al Gore was very concerned with this type of thing happening with people losing faith in uh, our ability to uh, have a free and fair election. And for the good of the country, he stood down and, um, and that was, I suppose, looking at this, the right thing to do. But now what Trump is doing you know this isn't this isn't like a close election where where there's some some issues that a reasonable person could look at and say uh, like something funny happened in a couple of states and and you probably won. There's there, there's no 530 vote difference. Instead, what we have is Trump calling up the. Uh, uh, Secretary of State in Georgia, and just hammering him left and right, trying to come up with uh, what was it, sixteen hundred votes? And he said, uh, you know, just give it to me, just give it to me. That's what he just kept he kept saying. You know, why not just give it to me? Just give me the votes. Uh, so, and while he was doing that with the Secretary of State of, of Georgia, Rudy Giuliani was on the phone with Secretary of State from. Uh, other states Pennsylvania and Arizona doing the same you know just needling them and and you know trying to get them to just give in as if this were some kind of negos- real estate negotiation where they're you know trying to n- negotiate a price that they want you know come down just another 600 votes you know as if that were six hundred dollars or sixteen hundred dollars and uh, and They fundamentally, it's not that they don't understand the way that democracy works. It's not that they don't understand it. It's that they don't think it applies to them, you know, and what they're trying to do is just steamroll their way through and get their way. Now, that's a separate issue from what's going on with their followers, what their followers are 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 high on is all of this Q anon stuff, this this uh, Q mythology, where they think that they are absolutely uh, have the God given right to to go forward with this insanity that they started with the in, in, insurrection that it's been ordained uh, uh, divinely for them to do so and uh, and that um that there are people within the deep state um and honestly deep state actually exists Bure- bureaucrats exist uh it, it's not a mythology the way that they make it out to be but you know these things, you know, government has been around for a while. Uh, but you put the Q people together with the, uh, business interests that have a lot to gain by, uh, having someone who is willing to just open up the, the, the treasury for them. And, and you put that alongside all of these police officers who, uh, uh, and law enforcement that are interested in, um, well, in their white supremacy and and uh, you know their their particular form of uh, of fascism. Uh, the last thing I want to leave you with, just real quick, uh, as uh, since we're talking about police officers in the siege, uh, there's a recounting of the Capitol siege from the point of view of Black Capitol police officers fighting off Blue Lives Matter insurrectionists, including white cops. Okay, and in this story is on Buzz Buzzfeed News, and I'll I'll put this link in the show notes. uh, You you have a black cop saying he's he's recounting his his experience, and he says. that he had police officers while he was trying to keep people out of the Capitol. He had police officers flashing their badges at him and, and, and saying that he was, he was effing them up, that, that he was in their way. And so he was, you know, by carrying out his duty as a police officer to protect the Capitol, he was a, a, a traitor to the, uh, to the police It's just just nuts. And so this quote from from this particular police officer is, you have the nerve to be holding a Blue Lives Matter flag, and you are out there fucking us up, he told one group of protesters he encountered at the Capitol. One guy pulled out his badge and said, we're doing this for you. Another guy had his badge. So I was like, oh, well, you guys got to be kidding. Um, He goes on uh, that the police officers protecting the Capitol were outnumbered 10 to one. And he described uh, extraordinary scenes in which protesters holding blue lives matter flags launched themselves at police officers. We were telling them to back up and to stop and get away. And they're telling us that they're on our side and that they're doing this for us. And they're saying this as I'm getting punched in the face by one of them. Um, and, and that happened to a lot of the police officers that day. He goes on to say um, um, that what upset him was the way that, his white colleagues, so so he saw his white colleagues taking selfies with the attackers and um, and enjoying the insurrection, and meanwhile he's he's getting beat up and and you know his life is in danger and the capital is being overrun. And uh, and it's being overrun by people with Confederate flags and other symbols of white supremacy. He said that hurt me the most because I was on the other side of the Capitol getting my ass kicked. Um, He is certain that if a group of black Americans had stormed the Capitol, that they wouldn't have gotten the kind of friendly reception from his white colleagues. Uh, If you're going to treat a group of of demonstrators for Black Lives Matter one way, then you should treat this group the same goddamn way, he says. And, you know, dude's got a point. He really does. Uh, um, He said, and this just rounds out the story. He said, I got called the N-word 15 times today. Uh, Trump did this. And we got all these fucking people in our department that voted for him. How the fuck can you support him, he says. And then he he, uh, ends his interview. He says, I cried for about 15 minutes, and I just let it out. Now I watched uh, a lot of footage of these altercations between protesters and especially black police officers. Uh, in, in one of them, this was by uh, Status Quo. Got this uh, um, Jordan Sheridan's outfit. Got this clip, and it was a white protester, probably in his 60s, yelling at a black police officer that there was no racism in the 60s. And the black police officer says back to him, my people were getting killed every day in the sixties. Just absolute nuts, crazy, crazy stuff. Now this, this, this isn't going to go away. And we're going to be talking about this for quite some time. Um, But uh, I think that the most productive thing to do is to, Hew to the to the law and try to get things back on track. That is why I think impeachment is the right thing to do right now. And I think that uh, it's a shame that we are going into a new administration uh, during a pandemic when we need to be addressing some urgent needs of the people, and we're having to go into that instead. Uh, you know, trying to put these uh, nut bags back in the, back in the jar. Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to take a little musical interlude and we'll be right back with Kardik Krishnayer and myself uh, mulling over a few of these uh, details having to do with the insurrection. And we'll be right back. And we're here with Karthik Krishnayya to catch up on all things having to do with the Parlor Putsch, the uh, insurrection, whatever you want to call it. Hey, Karthik, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well, Brooke. I love your term Parlor Putsch. That uh, that is the informal name of this uh, insurrection that we went through the other day.
0: You know, uh, before we get started, there was uh, some chatter earlier about whether or not to call this. And, you know, we, we, talked about this earlier, what to call this thing. Uh, and now that discussion has moved into mainstream media where, uh, where people are starting to call it a riot, which absolutely makes no sense to me at all, because a riot is generally thought to not have anything to do with, the way the government works. This was aimed at the government. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, a riot is spontaneous also. Riots are often triggered, and I think I said this the other day, by police shootings or a, a, a court a ruling that goes the wrong way, and it's, it's done spontaneously. People take to the streets in the next hour or two hours after that happened. It's not organized. It, 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 maybe people are, uh, are communicating with one another. Uh, now these days you can communicate via text and social media, but there were other ways to do it in the past. Uh, and, and that's a right, and it's spontaneous. They, you know, the, the, they're random acts, right? They, they may target some random things. Whereas a coup or an insurrection, which is what this was, right, this was uh, those are the two proper terms, is carefully organized, carefully planned, over a period of time with a specific date and a specific target in mind. There was a specific date, January 6th, which was the day of the electoral college votes were being unsealed and certified by the Congress. And uh, a specific target, the U.S. Capitol, where that certification process, which was to make Joe Biden, the, uh, the next president of the United States, uh, was taking place. And the people organizing it, were opponents of the president-elect. There is no ambiguity here. There is no, oh, you know, maybe it was this, maybe it was that, maybe it was just some bad apples. This was a very clear coup or insurrection. And the fact that we as Americans think we're in some sort of uh, uh, ivory tower or we're some untouchable exceptional nation, exceptional uh, race of people, uh, means that we can't use terms like that. Oh, who is an insurrection? That's what happens in, in Burkino Faso or Peru or, or uh, 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 Papua New Guinea or places like that. It doesn't happen in, in the West. It certainly doesn't happen in the US. Well, excuse me, it, ha- it did happen. It, it, and the, the elements to create the environment for this to happen have been built up over a number of years to get us to this point.
0: And you reminded me that we saw this in uh, in Michigan with Gretchen Whitmer, Whitmer earlier this year. So it wasn't just isolated with regard to this last week. This is something that has been brewing for a while.
2: Yeah, so uh, with, with the plot to uh, kidnap and, 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 and uh, potentially uh, assassinate the governor of Michigan, who by the way is not someone I'm, I'm a huge fan of I, I was a supporter of her primary opponent i think she's you know classic neoliberal democrat but nonetheless wh- whatever the case um she's associated as a as a prominent figure on the mainstream left center left whatever you want to call it, democratic party so there was this this effort over the summer by the uh, by the right-wingers to kidnap her and 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 and, and probably assassinate her now Let's let's think about this for a minute. The group that led the first the assault on the Capitol in uh, April against uh, uh, masking laws, right? Because uh, there's a global pandemic going on, uh, many of our fellow citizens are dropping dead in front of us, but these people they don't care, right? They're 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 more concerned about their freedom to walk into a restaurant without wearing a mask. Uh, than, uh, than, than the fact that their neighbors are dying and their relatives are dying, and, and people are, 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 and the hospitals are, are filled up, and, and we have this, this pandemic going on. Remember, they, they stormed the Capitol in April in opposition to Governor Whitmer's uh, uh, crackdown, which, by the way, Governor Mit- Whitmer's lockdown uh, and her measures in Michigan uh, allowed Michigan, which was one of the hotspots of the virus, to contain the virus. In the meantime, People like you and me, Brooke, who live in the state of Florida, which was not a hot spot of the virus initially, saw Florida's cases surge while Michigan's cases uh, uh, flatline at the same time. Because we have a governor here that, uh, that chose to, uh, uh, to, chose to uh, almost deny the pandemic existed, right? And you saw it as an opportunity to lure business to Florida. Hey, you know, you're upset about uh, uh, Mayor de Blasio cracking down on you. Hey, you're upset about Governor Whitmer cracking down on you. Come to Florida. We don't have any rules or laws here. Um, but going further back, this same group that led the assault on the Michigan Capitol that attempted to kidnap and assassinate Governor Whitmer is the same group that Timothy McVeigh was involved with, with the Nichols brothers in the state of Michigan in the mid-1990s, uh, which led to the largest case of domestic terrorism uh, or the, the, the greatest uh death toll from domestic terrorism in the history of this country, the Oklahoma City bombing in April of 1995, and, and probably the most visible uh, 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 case of domestic terrorism uh, prior to uh, January 6th. So this Michigan militia was never disbanded. The feds never shut them down. They never, the, the sort of measures they take against, against left-wing thinkers and the sort of measures they take against people who may be brown or black-skinned, they would never take against a right-wing militia group that had already scored a major success uh, blowing up a federal building in uh, cracking down on them. And then 25 years later, they're reconstituted. They're, uh, or maybe they didn't ha- even have to reconstitute. Maybe they, they were in the, in the light of day the whole time. They uh, I, I attempt to kidnap and assassinate a governor of a state, a- an engineer on two occasions, uh, various attempts at a coup in the state of Michigan. And uh, nothing was done about it. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, people moved on. You know, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. They tried to kidnap uh, Governor Whitmer. The next day it was back to politics. And, uh, and, and and the Republicans and their mouthpieces in the media calling the rest of, the, the rest of us socialists and, and saying that we were trying to impose uh, uh, these somehow un-American values. While they have turned the United States into a virtual banana republic. And, and I used to say the far right, the MAGA people. Now I have to say it's the Republican party in general, because I, I think there, there's been a, a, a culture of enablement by Republican politicians where very few of them uh, come out with any credit out, out of the, out of this last uh, 12 months.
0: So I wanted to turn from that to uh, the fracturing of the coalition for impeachment. It, it there seems to be today and kind of building over the weekend, a, 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 A bit of fracturing. I'm not sure if I'm ready to say that that, that people aren't enthusiastic to impeach, but it does seem like there's a bit of pushback today on social media and on Sunday news shows. And so I thought I would get you to kind of talk about this a little bit and maybe flesh it out for our listeners.
2: Yeah. So there seems to be a small but growing chorus of of Democrats and thinkers and people in the middle who are saying, uh, Pelosi is uh, is being political and, and rushing to uh, these articles of impeachment. Uh, this guy only has 10 more days in office. It'll be nine more days when the articles are introduced. It'll be eight more days when the articles hit the uh, hit the rules committee and then maybe the floor the same day. Maybe it'll be the next day. So it'll be a week left. And that, uh, let, let's just let cooler heads prevail. Uh, we're not, uh, we think that this might uh, further radicalize people. This is always the thing. Everyone's scared about further radicalizing people. There's also a chorus of, uh, of some Democrats, but mostly uh, shameless Republican office holders who are attacking the president in the left of further dividing people by linking, uh, by comparing, not linking, um, comparing uh, Senators Cruz and Hawley to uh, Goebbels and, 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 the, and the propaganda arm of the Nazi regime. In Nazi Germany. Now, I do understand and respect that Nazi analogies are a line you're not supposed to necessarily cross in American politics, right? We, you know, and I've I've been careful about it too. I've always, when I'm hitting the right, we'll we'll, we'll make it out, make comparisons to Vichy France or to uh, Mussolini or, or to Franco and other historical figures of, of of the of the dictatorial right, while avoiding Nazi Germany. Uh, and I I think that that's something, as Democrats, we've learned to do, right? Because uh, you, you know, if you mention Nazi Germany, then it becomes a uh, inflammatory thing. And in fact, I think uh, even the Mussolini thing became uh, controversial when uh, Bill Kristol, who of course is a former Republican, former prominent Republican, but now uh, a Never Trump, uh, you know, effectively aligned with the Democrats, had compared one of uh, com- compared one of Trump's speeches and said, "Hey, uh, I think it probably sounded better in the uh, original Italian." And, uh, and there was a lot of anger about, uh, because everyone knew what that meant, right? That meant Mussolini. So, um, Trump, uh, you know, Crystal had to delete the tweet, although he did never apologize. And I'm glad he never apologized for it. Um, but Biden cro- did cross that line. I don't think it's an issue that he crossed that line. I'm going to go on record and say this. Okay. You know, wh- wh- the line that has been crossed. If we had a violent insurrection in an attempt to overthrow the government or, or stop the functions of government. Who knows what their goals were? I mean, these people don't think things out clearly, but they, clearly their goal was to prevent Biden from taking office, right? Uh, that was, their, that was their, uh, their goal. So with that in mind, I don't think any analogy is off limits now. And, and, Brooke, the problem here is because uh, apparently Biden's rhetoric has been inflammatory to them the last few days, or they think it's further divided people. Uh, this is the Biden I remember from 20 years ago, by the way. He's become this kind of soft, mushy moderate uh, in his uh, post-vice presidency. But he, uh, uh, when he was in the U.S. Senate, he was a bomb thrower. Uh, you know, regardless of what you think of his voting record, he was a bomb thrower often from, from, from Democratic or liberal perspectives. So this is a very much the return of that this week uh, because of his anger about seeing the Capitol uh, attacked by these insurrectionists. So Biden has been throwing bombs. Pelosi has clearly moved to the left. And now I think there's a lot of fear uh, that Biden and Pelosi are no longer kind of good corporate Democrats. And they're, they're, they're wandering into territory that the establishment doesn't like. So I, I don't think the pushback against them is a coincidence. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I, I don't think there's anything controversial that Biden said, honestly, in these two speeches, which seem to have uh, in, uh, may uh, given uh, the the people who uh, are trying to uh, push the, the 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 cooler heads prevail, the cooler heads prevail caucus, we'll call them, has given them some uh, some ammunition. I don't think there's anything wrong with Biden said in this process, but. Um, yeah, so I don't think it's a large group, Brooke. Uh, let's, not, let's not overstate this. I would say it's like 5% of Democrats. But there, there, uh, in addition to Trump, there are 6 to 10 elected officials that need to be removed from office that were uh, uh, involved in inciting this insurrection. And, and uh, uh, we, we can't get soft feet now, okay? Because you know if it was us, if it was something else, and it was some minor thing that happened on the left, and then they blamed liberal politicians or progressive politicians, you know they would be ruthless in coming for us. And it's not just a matter of ruthlessness. I'm going to tell you there is a fear now that Biden will not be able to govern uh, effectively. There's a fear from abroad that Biden will not be able to govern effectively because there will be constant attempts at undermining him by, uh, by insurrectionists. Is that the kind of country you want to live in? So we, ha- we, we, we have to put a stop to this. We have to set the example now. Draw the line now.
0: I agree. And remind us what is at issue with impeachment, because a lot of people are of the mind that uh, there's only a few days left of Trump being in office and he's going to be gone anyway. But there are a lot of reasons to go ahead and do this because as a former president and as a president who would still have a few more days left within office, he would still have some power, and he would, uh, going forward, still have some ability. And so I understand that to be running for office again, and also he could possibly pardon uh, people who were involved in the siege. Is that about right?
2: Yeah, that's correct. He could pardon all the all the people involved in the coup, uh, and uh, he could pardon members of his family. And also, again, there's the issue of him running again because there was no— um, I I I don't think there there are, there are a lot of Republicans who are deluding themselves now. The last two days, saying, "Oh well, you know, we we condemn the actions, and but this has made him radioactive. If he runs in a primary, we don't have to we don't have to impeach and remove him because if he runs in a primary, he won't win. Now Republicans have turned against him. Uh, that is absolute bunk. You and I both know that, Broke. If, if Trump ran in a Republican primary against, I, I don't know who even the. uh, the mainstream alternatives would be at this point. That party has been so corrupted. Uh, Let's <laughs> say Marco Rubio runs and, and uh, you know, someone more mainstream, like, uh, or maybe considered more mainstream, uh, like, uh, like uh, one of the governors uh, 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 out there, uh, maybe uh, uh, some of the, some of the uh, uh, one, uh, one or two other senators ran, they would get crushed in the primary by Trump. I think you. I think you and I both know that's the case. Let's say even like, uh, like a Joni Ernst ran for president. I've heard her name floated, uh, which is kind of hilarious, honestly. But she just got reelected, so she has six more years. Um, someone like that, they get killed in a Republican primary. He will get the nomination in 2024 if he's still healthy and he hasn't been indicted. Don't don't kid yourself. I mean, there's has been this delusion since since Wednesday, that, oh, well, now the Republicans are tired of them. They saw, they, they, they saw what what happened. Well, no, they're not, because the last three days, they have gradually backed off their positions to where um, now they, they're spending all their time on Fox News talking about the tech companies and talking about Biden comparing uh, two Nazis to Nazis in Holly and Cruz. And, and, in fact, I shouldn't say call them Nazis – because they're not really Nazis are so just behaving like it, those two guys. I mean, I don't know about Ted Cruz, but Josh Hawley has actually uh, a, a, a record prior to his election to the Senate that would make you think that he might be kind of this mainstream Republican, this kind of intellectual, smart guy. I, I don't know what, what, what's happened to him. I guess he, he wants to run for president also, and he's decided that he wants to be the heir apparent to Trump. So he's gone all in, um, which has got a lot of people in Missouri – uh, and look, and he ran against, keep this in mind, he ran against the scandal-plagued uh, Claire McCaskill, who was a horrible U.S. senator. That was a Democratic nominee in 2018. Mm-hmm. So I, I, and he got 50, 52% of the vote, I think, or 516 something like that. So he, he, he is not invulnerable in his home state. So it's, it's odd that he thinks he is, and he's gone uh, to, to the, a place now where every editorial board in the, in the state wants him to resign or uh, will be removed from office.
0: So let's let's turn our attention now to the issue of uh, First Amendment and c- censorship, because Donald Trump was uh, effectively deplatformed uh, this weekend. He was removed from Twitter. He's been removed from Shopify. His uh, uh, ISP shut down his email. He tried to use numerous other accounts to get access to Twitter. That, those were all shut down, which happens if if a, if a regular person tried to use a different account once they're banned. Uh, you get shut down for trying to evade a ban. So the discussion now has moved towards uh is there a downside or what are the downsides to this kind of um, to in, in, in imbuing tech companies with the ability to shut down uh, speech and shut down speech or, or uh, politicians' ability to access their audiences? Um, because one side wants to say that this is way too much power to give tech companies. And I am uh, uh, amenable to that uh, argument. And then there's another argument that I think is also very interesting, which is, does it really do us a whole lot of good to have all of these discussions go underground where you can't see them?
2: Yeah. So I guess I'm, I'm pretty amenable to both arguments. Uh, the, the, the thing I would say is that one you have a situation where uh, where the, the tech companies need to be broken up. I think we can all agree on that. I think people uh, on the left and the right tend to agree on that. Uh, there may be some uh, hesitation uh, when it comes to to Google. It seems like there's more hesitation, and in fact, the, uh, the it seems like the, the potential antitrust case against Google. I've been reading in, in some of these law journals and, and tech journals. I read are. Uh, it's weaker than a potential antitrust case against Facebook. I, I don't know. I'll defer to the legal expertise on that. Um, but that uh, uh, Facebook and Amazon, in particular, uh, those two, and I, I would throw Google in there. But I guess you know maybe it's more uh, Amazon. Any antitrust suit would be straightforward, I think. But um, I'm a, I think these the tech companies should be broken up. This having been said, um, we can talk about free speech and 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 uh, the the um, tech companies shouldn't be in the position to pick winners or losers. But I will say this very plainly. Twitter and Facebook and Reddit, those three, did a very poor job of moderating content and of uh, stamping out insurrection in this country. Twitter's response to the constant lies from President Trump, and see, this is why you can't take any of the conservative arguments seriously. So what Twitter started doing was putting disclaimers about his uh, on his tweets and on tweets of other prominent uh, Trumpists like Rudy Giuliani and Linwood and Sidney Powell even the disclaimers got all these right-wing people up in arms oh they're limiting free speech they're you know they they're, they're, they're doing this they're doing that okay even even the disclaimer which, went ignored by 99% of the right-wing ecosystem, right? Uh, I shouldn't say went ignored. They, 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 they used it to exploit it and say, oh, it's terrible. There was cartailing free speech. The president should have an unfiltered thing and, and Biden didn't win the election anyway and all, all this bullshit, right? Um, excuse my language. But they, um, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit allowed this coup to be cooked in plain sight on their platforms, now, there was more of it going on in Parlour, which is why we uh, uh, Parlour, Parlay, whatever they call it. That's why you, you come up with your ingenious term of the Parlay pooch, but, uh, which is a which is a right-wing alternative to Twitter, right? It's their, their right-wing thing. Um, and by the way, just for the listeners, I, I, I have uh, become a member of Parlay in the last few days just so I could see what it was all about uh, since the insurrection, and I went on there, and it's horrifying. The place is, it's dark. Um, and I think you may have snuck a peek or two at it before. Um, I became I became a member and promptly just followed Tucker Carlson, but used the, uh, the so I have I followed one person, but I have a uh, I have a uh, uh, I, I, you can use hashtags like on Twitter and find all the objectionable content. So it's gotten more incendiary, probably. Although again, I wasn't on there before the insurrection, before January sixth. It may have gotten more incendiary since these people have all been tossed off of uh, Twitter and 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 uh, and the other platforms. I uh, I do notice that some of my followers have disappeared on Twitter because there were some of these people who followed me so they could attack me, some of these right-wing people. And I, I've gone and searched for them, and their accounts were suspended. So that's good. But they were all suspended after the insurrection, right, after the failed coup. Um, so there's that. Now, the second point you made is, is something I had not thought of in my enthusiasm on Friday to say these people should be deplatformed and also, hey, I think... Twitter. I understand Section 220, but I also think Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, um, and by extension Google and Amazon, because they hosted uh, Amazon, AWS, uh, Apple, Google, Amazon. Right? Uh, AWS uh, has uh, hosted space for parlay, and uh, that they are all complicit in this uh, this this coup being cooked and, and the possible overthrow of the U.S. government or whatever these people were. Uh, were uh aiming to do. Well they were clearly trying they were true there were it was clearly a, a coup with a name to prevent Joe Biden from becoming president. So um to subvert the democratic will of the voters of this country. Um I am now concerned as you said two days later uh as as you indicated that these people now might be going underground because what I what I saw when I, I jumped on Parlay last night Saturday night was stunning. Um and was even more incendiary than things I have seen on Twitter, because of course that's an unmoderated platform, and we know they would not compromise. That's why Apple and Google have kicked them off their, uh, out of their, their web stores now. And um, and, and I, I'm guessing that instead of these people being on Reddit, uh, which is in the in in, pl- in plain sight, if you find the right, uh, the right Reddit rooms, they are probably now on their own right wing. Uh, if they have server space, they probably had, do somewhere, right-wing platforms that we're not going to be able to track. Twitter had learned about a potential plot on January 17th, three days before the inauguration, which was actually what prompted them to delete all these people's accounts, by the way. Uh, it wasn't just the insurrection itself. It was that there was a follow-up thing being planned, plotted. So we have there may be something that happens on January 17th, and I'm convinced now that the last tweet, Trump tweet we saw from Trump before his account was, was suspended, was, I do not plan to uh, attend the inauguration on January 20th. You know what that was To me, that was potential code. It was basically, I'm not going to be there, so don't worry about hurting me if you guys plan something. So uh, I think there's more coming, and we, you're right. We may not know what's coming because it's not in plain sight anymore.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to dig into that... Uh, January 20 or January 17 plot a little bit further for uh, probably another PNN this week uh, or a or PNN extra. Uh, I want to move on to uh, how there is some pushback on Joe Biden for not carefully enough choosing his words, uh, some say, to, uh, with regard to uh, uh, how he has addressed the the insurrection or or the uh, siege, uh, where he, I believe, referred to Ted Cruz and uh, a couple of other these Republican plotters as, uh, um, or he compared them to um, Goebbels. And, yeah. uh, and, and so, yeah, you know, he, he went full for the uh, German analogy. But uh, I think that you had an interesting point with why that actually applies. So what are your thoughts on, on this whole uh, dust up over this? Yeah,
2: so it was a line that it's understood you don't cross. American politics—you don't make Nazi analogies. You don't make analogies to to, to, to Nazi Germany, and uh, that's why we've been careful, as I said earlier, to talk about Franco and talk about Vichy France and all these kind of side fascist movements that we can uh, uh, that we can make comparisons between them and Republican elected officials. But the line that was crossed was the violent insurrection led by very specific coded propaganda ish language coming out of Ted Cruz's mouth in a speech he made in, on Saturday, uh, uh, which would have been what four days before the, the coup attempt and Josh Hawley's uh, repeated commentary in public, including his, his fist, uh, his raised fist, almost white power fist to, uh, the, the uh, insurrectionist as he was moving into, uh, his, his state location in the Capitol where he was, uh, uh, planning to try and uh, overturn the results of a of a of a free and fair election, and install uh, and the uh, the candidate that got seven million less votes as the president, give give that candidate a second term. Uh, so these are lines that have been crossed in the same way the Nazis used the Reichstag fire and uh, and Kristallnacht and all these things, right? So I think it, it's a natural place to go. Now, Biden has a history of saying things he, he that, that that are uh, inflammatory, for lack of a better term. Uh, he, and I know this as someone who worked in Washington when he was in the U.S. Senate and when he was, I think, in those days more progressive than he is now. He used to say things like this all the time. Uh, and, uh, and other Democrats, more mainstream Democrats, would be like, oh, gosh, it's Biden again. Biden's so stupid, right? They would, they, they would say things like that. I mean, were, people would laugh about Biden up there at times, although everyone kind of respected him. They would say, ah, you know, he's just a loose cannon, right? He gets, he, he gets wound up and he gets unhinged. But uh, I don't think there was anything wrong with what he said. I mean, we, we have to have this. There's, there's, no, there's no gray area anymore. These people try to violently uh, stop the functioning of government. This is something we haven't had happen at the federal level in this country since the Whiskey Rebellion in the 1790s. Okay, we've had some issues at the state levels, particularly in the South, most recently 1898 in Sid, North Carolina, or in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, obviously, the uh, violent overthrow of the government in South Carolina, and the uh, under Pitchfork, uh, Pitchfork, then uh, Phil Tillman led back coup uh, of white supremacist Democrats to overthrow the Republican fusion. Uh, the same thing that happened in Wilmington. The, the Republican Party in the South was very much kind of a fusion party of uh, of uh, uh, African Americans, former freed slaves, and and uh, Republicans who had come from the North. Um, but we haven't had anything like this ever since the 1790s. Uh, they didn't actually get close to the, to the capital. Um, they were more state-based rebellions, the, the, the Whiskey Rebellion and the, and the Shays Rebellion. away we haven't anything in our history like this. So if we're not allowed to make proper historic analogies and we have to always sugarcoat it, oh, we're the United States, we're not like that, then we're, not, we're never going to stamp out this insurrection. Because there's insurrectionism. Don't think because the protesters, uh, the protesters, sorry, the, the insurrectionists were beat back. Uh, uh, at the 11th hour, from the Capitol, after occupying, uh, uh, after occupying the Speaker's office, after breaching the security of the House and Senate chambers, after looting uh, large portions of the Capitol and members' offices, and after uh, uh, you know the incidents that led to five deaths, that somehow they've been beaten back permanently. They have not been. So we we have to come to grips with this as a country, and if. Unfortunately, only one political party is going to do it. uh, It's not not our responsibility as Democrats to bring them along. It's their responsibility. They're responsible for the insurrection.
0: And let's not forget that we are going into a new administration with Joe Biden, and uh, there's a lot that needs to be done. There is a conflict between a uh, 100-day agenda, and getting the things done that we need to have done with regard to pandemic and getting people money and getting things back on track. There is there is a conflict or contradiction between doing that and then doing the things that, that we need to do with regard to uh, finishing up this business with Donald Trump. So, uh, you know, hopefully they can get that done sooner rather than later and quickly so that – or multitask so that we can actually do the business that needs to be done for the people, you know, of the country so that we can get along with life and, and, and uh, fix our economy and fix our healthcare system. Uh, And, you know, we can move on from here, but at this point, it doesn't look like that's necessarily going to happen.
2: Yeah, I, I want to get back to, to talking about Medicare for all and, and environmental reform, uh, you know, Green New Deal, things like that, things that, that mitigate cro- climate change, uh, working class economic issues. I want to get back to the progressive pet issues you and I both share. But I, I don't think we can do that until we stamp out this insurrection and prevent it from happening again. Because let me tell you something. The U.S. is, is wobbly right now a democracy. This may seem overly dramatic to people out there, but uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not convinced if we, if we don't stamp this out that we'll have a de- that, Bi- that Biden won't be the last Democratic president for a while. Because once they have demonstrated they can, by force, try and kidnap and kill a governor, they can, by force, uh, seize the capital, and they basically were very close to achieving both of these things, right? They've they, they reached the capital, And if they come with more force and they come with more muscle – and they plan it a little better, and they don't have a buffoon like Trump leading them, they have a more, like I said, at one time he was thought of as being kind of this intellectual heavyweight, a a guy like Josh Hawley, a a guy who would at least be more strategic in his thought process, have more critical thinking and and, and planning uh, than a a buffoon like Trump, they might pull this off next time. And and, and, and there you go. They're they're in control. Uh, And Biden has said, oh, we're back, baby, right? That's been his big thing, that... that, uh, uh, the U.S. is back. We're we'll back in the international order. We're going to be back in the Paris Climate Accord. We're going to be back in the WHO lead on the pandemic, lead on lead on fighting COVID-19. All very noble things I agree with, and I think we all agree with. But I don't know if I'm in that room and Biden walks in on January 21st, 22nd, and says, "Hey, you know, um, Chancellor Merkel, hey, 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 Merkel, uh, President Macron, we're back." We're ready to lead. Macron could say, yeah, uh, President Biden, we, we, we're with you, but we don't know that you won't get overthrown in a, in a coup in six months. There hasn't been a violent coup like there have been protests, but there hasn't been a violent coup or insurrection like this in France or Germany or the United Kingdom or Australia or any of the stable demo- Japan, any of the stable democracies that we are aligned with values-wise, um, things like climate change and things like uh, – our general Western worldview, which is to to promote pluralistic uh, liberal democracies.
0: And we've got Rick Spizak in conversation with Dennis Campbell coming up right now. And
3: we've got Rick Spizak. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome from the far off coast of the UK, Mr. Dennis Campbell, international journalist and raconteur, Mr. Campbell. What are you hearing from your fellow Britons uh, with between the lockdown and this more effective virus about what's going on with the former colony i mean what do you hear from your fellow Britons?
4: well you know we've been we've been in lockdown now again for a little over a month and it's probably going to go on for another two or three months so it's just it's a question of how much can we handle, how much can we take? Uh, you know, I was listening to BBC Radio 4's The News Quiz hosted by my buddy, Andy Zaltzman, and, uh, you know, it was it was interesting to hear people just say, you know what, I've just given up. <laughs> you know, I don't think I'm ever going to go outside again or ever be in public again or ever be in a place where there's lots of people because of all these variants. And, the you know, we're having just as slow, if not a slower take-up of the vaccine I mean, I'm supposedly one of those people in uh, risk tier category four, which is you know under 65 but uh, with pre-existing comorbidities. And uh, every time you try to get information, they say, "Don't call us; we'll call you." So <laughs> you find yourself sitting there thinking, "Okay, that's that's all well and good, but our take-up of vaccines here in Wales has been incredibly slow compared to." the rest of britain which is not exactly setting the world on fire so i think the the biggest issue we have is that nobody prepared for the fact that you know once it came you were going to have to put in place a distribution system and that's the biggest problem you're facing in the states right now but you asked me a question and i still haven't answered it so let me give it an attempt there the um you know basically it was with shock and horror that we watched the event of wednesday um, you know, Wednesday started out so positively with, uh, you know, learning first off that Raphael Warnack, the grandson or great-grandson of a, of a cotton-picking slave, you know, now the, the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, would become, you know, the first black man from the slave state of Georgia to sit in the United States Senate and in the midst of all the craziness that soon unfolded during the uh, electoral college vote count which is normally a 45 minute process <laughs> you know ended up being 15 hours and 45 minutes before it was finally all said and done and in between there was seven hours of complete mayhem and, you know having seen some of the, the videos come out uh, recently where most of my compatriots are saying oh my god did you see the video where the guy shot the woman through the door. And I'm sitting there saying, you know, i'm I'm normally a pacifist, but I have absolutely no problem with what that guy did because what most people don't realize is that door is the door to the speaker's lobby, right from the outside. And you know, that is an incredibly delicate situation. And that man guarding that door had no idea who was coming through, what their purpose was, and whether or not, The Speaker of the House, second in line to the presidency, had been secured and was now in danger. And he did what anybody would have done, not knowing the intent of someone charging through that door, and fired a shot. And that slowed everybody down. Uh, Everybody asked me, what about that poor gentleman, the the black uh, Capitol Hill police officer? running backwards up the stairs trying to hold off an angry mob they said why didn't he just shoot them because if he shot them he's only got 12 bullets in that clip and once he's done with that clip, and if he even if he does take out six or seven people, that mob is going to descend upon him and beat the living crap out of him. You know, and to see that, you know, this law and order presidency, this man who, you know, talks about the police and such, and the fact that, you know, these, these, these assholes, because I have no other term to describe them, beat a Capitol Hill police officer to death with a fire extinguisher, you know, is, is just... It's beyond the pale, and and to see the you know people are also talking and laughing very much about the idiot who managed to tase himself in the balls and cause a heart attack, and he was one of the medical deaths as a result of it, and you know th- there's absolutely no sympathy for the I guess it's now four protesters who you know died either either of gunshot or, or such, and that they were just let in, that the doors were opened, and You know, had they been Black Lives Matter protesters storming that building, the casualty count would be in the hundreds and the arrest count would be in the thousands. But 60 people were arrested on the day of that massacre and that is an obscenity. But the nice thing is that these people were idiots, that they actually went and posted photos and images and videos of themselves online on social media and it's making the police's job of, 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 of gathering them up and arresting them that much easier. I mean, the idiot that sat at Nancy Pelosi's office desk, ransacked her office, possibly stole a laptop with sensitive government, equipment, uh, government information on it, he's already been arrested, as have so many of them, including, you know, Chewbacca underwear boy, who's now become a meme. You know on as, as a trophy head hanging on on Nancy Pelosi's wall so what I don't get is that there was certainly planning in this uh, you know I've, I've heard and I'm not a big believer you know this Rick Rick in 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 conspiracy theory and at the end of the day I have to give some credence to the thought of this being a well-planned even though poorly executed you know, an idea and, you know, the one that keeps coming back is the comparison to the opening of the television series Designated Survivor. You know, the fact that you had a joint session of Congress, you had all of the senators and representatives there in one room, and these guys, some of them had zip ties on their belts and others. People were thinking, well, my God, what if they had been successful in getting in and taking hostages? What if they had been successful in getting in there and shooting and killing members of the House and the Senate? Then Trump would declare martial law, and keep himself in power beyond the 20th. So the fact that it was completely thwarted that this man has now, you know, been disgraced, called upon to resign, about to face a second impeachment, which I, I have to tell you, man, the sheer balls of Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff, the fact that they're not backing down, the fact that they don't care if he's removed from office before Biden comes in, that the Democratic Senate will take up the trial, and that he is still likely to be convicted and then barred from ever holding office again, is something that Trump never thought would be possible. And then yesterday, to see him banned permanently from Twitter and his 90 million followers and the fact that he can use it to incite violence amongst his, you know, groups and and, and launch these, you know, ad hominem attacks, some of them quite vicious against members of his own party. This is something that should have happened 1,300 days ago when he first took office, you know, that he had I mean, imagine if JFK or Nixon had a platform like Twitter with which to go to the public at any moment they wanted to. So that's the general reaction here, is that we're both shocked and dismayed, but we're also heartened by the fact that he had his ass kicked off of Twitter, and that he's now completely isolated. According to um, Politico, uh, several aides said he went absolutely ballistic, and they said it was the worst they'd ever seen Friday night when he was banned from Twitter. So. Um, all power to them. The man needs to be isolated shut down. He needs to be Put in the same position as Nixon walking around drunkly speaking to presidential portraits and babbling and the fact that Nancy took the step to you know Make certain that she talked to Millie and the, and the, and the, and the generals to make certain he can't with those nuclear codes Just unilaterally launch action against anywhere in the world is all positive and uh, you know at the end of the day It it ends up that we were in a much better position, but it took us a hell of a long time to get there.
3: You know, one of the things that I found as profoundly disturbing as uh, what we saw of the rampage of the right uh, in the Congress was we found the necessity, we found the integrity, thank God, in the Democratic leadership of the Congress, to speak to the generals. Now, you know, in a real politics sense, to have this kind of additional confusion and danger regarding the nation's welfare, that we had to find the will, the integrity to talk to the military and say, please protect us from the president. We have no idea what he's capable of. We have a sense that there is nothing outside this man's fevered imagination. We want to be protected from his worst impulses. And that it's Mm -hmm. come to that. Woe is us.
4: Yeah, and... and you know, I was I was um, I did a lot of media on that day, but <laughs> my favorite interview was with and BBC and Scotland. wise was the media sources that <laughs> called upon you, my brother. <laughs> Thanks, but you know, the 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 host of BBC Scotland was doing their 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 typical BBC thing, which is to play both sides and equivocate and ask questions. And he said, "Well, what about?" You know, what about, you know, the, 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 the fact that this congressperson has called for people to, you know, speak with rather than at each other? Don't you support that? And my answer was, no, I don't support it. I'm tired of it. All right. I'm tired of both sides. I'm, I'm tired of people like yourself, Stephen. He, that was the name of the, of, the, uh, of the host. Constantly being in a position where all you do is stoke us, the left or the right, to throw bombs at each other, and then at the end you say, well, I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for. Nothing gets resolved, nothing gets called out, and it's complete and total bullshit. And I think, you know, he was shocked by that, but I think it was, it it was, I was so angry as it was happening, I couldn't even watch it, you know, on, on Wednesday. And people were blowing up my phone saying, Are you seeing this? Are you watching this? Is. And I finally had to put a post up on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and said, Yes, I'm seeing it and you know what? Um, I'm out of, of, of the ability to, to become outraged anymore. And it built <clears throat> as the night went on and, and we saw the extent of it and the loss of life and the fact that Congress came back despite it seven hours after it started and did their job. Uh, that, to me, showed an integrity and a level of, of anger within that group that they had been allowed to be attacked that was so vitally important. It was as important as what happened after 9-11. You know, e- even though I, I hate everything about the man, that Bush went down to the pile, stood on top of it, took the megaphone. And basically said, and the people are going to, you know, the people that did this are going to hear from us, even though it wasn't, you know, he never launched attacks against Saudi Arabia Who were the people who did it. But that's another story for another time. Uh, it shows that in times of, of crisis and torment, if people are allowed to stand up, then good things usually come as a result of it. You know, Joe Biden yesterday said that this is going to make his job easier. And the fact that he has a Senate, you know that is controlled now by the the vice president, and now you have Lisa Murkowski, who's been treated like shit by the Republican Party for how many years, finally saying, that's it, I've had it, and could very well leave and become an independent, and God, if she actually caucuses with the Democrats, that's 51-49. And I I would love to see the formation of a third party from the ashes of the Republican Party, just as much as I, I would like to see you know a couple of wings of the democratic party i mean the, the two party system in the united states where you know it has, has has clearly not worked and not served the country well and i think you can put the lunatics on both sides in their own party out you know on the far wings and look for a center where there's a there's a bit of moderation and an understanding of what needs to be done to get things done i can speak
3: about rebellion in Washington, D.C., with some
4: experience.
3: I have been to Washington, D.C., as part of a major protest movement three times in my my brief life, and I can tell you that the vehemence of the people who protested the Vietnam War, who protested the cavalier racism that that war represented, who vehemently angrily opposed the American policy. There was nothing in that mob in the 1960s and the 1970s that said let us attack the institutions. It was not about the institutions. There was respect for the institutions. There was, however, a disagreement with policy. And the only violence that occurred was when Uh, The police had been told, had been signaled that anything goes, that beating peace activists was fair game. That's where the violence came. And, you know, Dennis, I want to make one final point. Regardless of how vehement and, and strongly we disagreed with the government, we still believed that the Congress, that the Supreme Court, that the Office of the Presidency and all that represented was still there to work for the American people. There was never any doubt of that. Where There was Amen. never any attack on the institutions, even though, again, with tongue-in-cheek, we wanted to levitate the Pentagon. That was not, not just symbolic, but it was about a change of vibration it was about a change to be a little woo-woo for a second it was about trying to change the mindset not disturb the structures that we know serve the american people and that is a contrast
4: yeah. that is sobering yeah. my brother so so absolutely to what's going on i mean you know the there's a couple things i mean the, the 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 man who who got the pentagon papers died this week and there was a fantastic article in the New York Times about his, you know, how he got it in his life. God bless Brother Ellsberg. Yeah. And it was just, you know, one of those situations where you, you know, you, you look at the, the, the courage and the bravery of a small group of people. I mean, you know, it, we're, we're two weeks out from the 10th anniversary of the Arab Spring. And, you know, my book, Breathing Hope and Fear, um, you know, was written three years ago, but it's getting attention now because of the, similarities between the Arab Spring and what we're witnessing now with what happened, you know, both with the, you know, the dictatorial measures of Donald Trump, as well as what happened at the Capitol building. I've worked in that building for years. I know, you know, those people and, and the respect that you have, even in times when it's controlled by the opposite party, is for the institution. And it broke my heart. To see these animals trashing Statuary Hall and the Rotunda and the hand-to-hand combat with police inside that building, um, it just is, is an anathema to me. You, you, you think this is, you know, this is such a hallowed place. In contrast,
3: let's take a look at Mr. Cruz and Holly. Now, Cruz, I understand, was was literally fundraising during the invasion of the American Congress. After after having done his level best alongside the kind of fools that we know that were there to rev up this crowd, uh, fully part and parcel with the <laughs> former mayor's uh, suggestion that we indulge in trial by combat. Now, for an attorney, for a former mayor of, you know, what is arguably one of the largest cities on the planet to to suggest that what we needed now was to attack and show no mercy.
4: Uh, A peculiar kind of Republicans we grow nowadays. Well, not only that, but I mean, the crowd, you know, was desperately looking for Mike Pence. And they were saying things like, hang him, hang him. I'm like, excuse me? This is the vice president of the United States. I can't stand the guy. I hate his politics. I hate everything about his past. But you don't do that to the office of the vice president. Yes, he only has to have a pulse in order to do his job. All right. But you don't do that to a vice president. And I'm genuinely fearful for him because on January 20th at noon, he loses all of his Secret Service protection. And these people... Are lunatics out there so I mean I, as I said I don't personally like the man but I respect the office and I respect the fact that he needs to be taken care of. I mean there are as many opinions as there are
3: people but there's two main strains of, of political thinking let, let's just say on the Democratic side of things one let him get out of here the less the better just let him leave slink away And then there's another side that says, if you're fomenting active rebellion, if you are sending people to armed combat within the halls of our government, they need to come before the bar. Uh, Whether you're a senator or a representative from West Virginia who's proudly taking selfies on the floor of the Congress, you need to be brought... Yes, well, let's hope that there's actually prosecution. I, yeah. I have to admit to some, uh, well, let's let's hope for the best. Yeah, I hear you. I hear
0: you.
3: What do you think about this? Are, should these people, these uh, sitting members of Congress who have fomented a, an active attack, an attack on our government?
4: Well, I say watch this space. I mean, there's, there's absolutely no way Joe Biden is going to be able to pull a Barack Obama when it came to W. Bush in and, 43 and You know where he just basically said look we need to heal and move on um and and i think deep down that's why joe selected merrick garland because when you put the justice system in charge of somebody who's no longer your personal lawyer who has grown up in that system who understands that system who knows exactly how to rebuild the justice department there will be prosecutions and a lot of these people will face the full extent of the law not to mention members of the administration I would love nothing more than uh, at 12.01 p.m. on the 20th of January that uh, Donald Trump is placed into custody despite having pardoned himself. And, you know, while he's in custody, let the Supreme Court decide if he can be charged or whether or not his pardon or (laughs) self-pardon is good enough to work. So I think very strongly that the law and order party is going to become the democrats as a result of everything that has happened and the corruption the rank corruption within this uh, administration is going to be ferreted and routed out department by department in the cabinet and you know i think the only safe person might be ben carson with hud uh, you know because he's not committed very many crimes but people like devos and, and um, the, what's his name, the, the, the 90-year-old fossil who ran commerce and, and uh, you know, others are going to have to pay a very deep penalty. I, insurrection carries a 20-year federal penalty, okay? And 20 years for a 73-year-old man is a death sentence. And there is no Parole the matter that you've been the president of the united states the fact is you will spend the last 20 years of your life in federal prison not to mention the concurrent state charges that are going to be litigated in new york and other places so i think you're going to see a very strong out of the box um, move by joe biden and the nice thing is that he can just step back and say look i mean as he's been saying all along This is the purview of the Department of Justice and the Attorney General, all right? And they are separate and independent from me. They're not my lawyers, which is the way Trump had it. And, you know, you're going to see some pretty amazing things pretty quickly because, you know, a lot of people will be back in key places that know how to run that place. Same with the State Department, same with national security. And you're going to see a massive, massive shift and change to competency from the corruption and incompetency we have seen for the last four years.
3: There have been plenty of stories uh, in the news analyzing how could the House, the buildings of Congress, been put in such jeopardy Who was minding the store? Was it simply incompetence or was it collusion? There have been stories throughout those who monitor the right for months and months and months where the right has been monitored, talking about not just violence against Congress, but of violence against members of Congress. Uh, we've seen a plot to attack and execute a governor, uh, which was not attended to by our president.
4: Uh, we by saw. The way, that's the same group that Timothy McVeigh was part of. And still, here we are 20, 20 years later, or, long, or more, 25 years later, from the, the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City. Uh, and, and, and they are still out there. Why? How? Go ahead. Like I said, I've heard several
3: security people say, this was clear. This was clear that this was planned. In fact, there is another event planned for the day before the uh, inaugural. Obviously, it seems to me incompetence alone was not at hand. There was collusion. And when you heard a former Capitol Hill police people, both in leadership and rank and file, say, when Louis Farrakhan came with four guys, we had the stairs covered with cops. And yet, and, and no, we don't even need to talk about Black Lives Matter treatment versus this. But clearly, there is a fifth column, if you will, in the American government that is absolutely thrilled to see this Trump militia attack. I'm just wondering what they have planned, because I don't know if we can count on the, the powers that be to protect the institutions of our government.
4: Yeah, it was. It was. There was clearly something going on. There was clearly collusion of some sort. You know that these people were just allowed to walk through the barricades into the building and then walk out of the building after having been in a situation where three of the compatriots were were, were gunned down or or died of a uh, of a uh, of a medical situation. And the fact that there were selfies taken with Capitol Police officers, but the difference now is that every single one of us walks around with one of these in our pocket an hd camera and audio that can be used to capture video photographs and everything about what happened and the fbi has been deluged with footage with names online with people saying i went to high school with this guy and he was a jerk back then here's his yearbook photo This is all going to become critical evidence, better even than CCTV camera footage, because people are now able to stand up and say, man, this guy was always a jerk, we need to get rid of him. Well,
3: you know, you and I, being the technological media sophisticates that we are, we know the level of, let's say, governmental monitoring. Of telecommunications. We know that uh, whether we talk about the FBI, CIA, NSA, there's monitoring of all the circuits about rebellion, about uh, suspicious behavior. Uh, certainly when, when you bring that smartphone Uh, with you to the meeting, you bring it to your conspiracy, you post on social media that you're going to attack the Congress to pretend that nobody knew about this, Bakers the imagination.
4: Yeah, it really does, I mean, I think all the way back to the 7-7-2007 bombing in London of both the underground and, and the bombs, and in London even in 2007. I mean, we're talking 13 years ago. Excuse me, almost 14 years ago now. You could track the movement of every one of those people from CCTV and police footage. And one of my funniest uh, uh, photos that I remember from, from years and years ago is outside of the, the, the birth home of uh, George Orwell. There was up on, <laughs> on a pole a CCTV police camera. Okay, he's facing the street, but still you could see the camera and then the plaque denoting that this was his home. And I don't care who you are or where you are, that phone tracks your every movement. It pings off of cell towers. They can locate you in a heartbeat and know exactly where you are and what you're planning to do. And if you do do something nefarious, I mean, we had that London bridge bombing here. And inside of four minutes from the attack at one end of the bridge, It was eight minutes, I think. All three attackers were dead. Special ops police forces were able to move in that quickly in a terrorist incident and put it down before anybody else lost their life. Now, part of that scares the living crap out of me in terms of the fact that Big Brother is always watching. And part of me is grateful because we didn't have a bigger loss of life from people with machetes that were clearly intent upon doing one thing. And that was killing as many people as they possibly could. But the simple fact that eight minutes from the start to the finish, these three attackers were dead is phenomenal. It's unbelievable. And there's only one way you can do that is to have systems somewhere that will track these things and know when people are are, are planning ill. Now, yes, that stuff can be turned against peaceful protesters as it often is. We can be kettled into areas where we shouldn't be. We can be you know, uh, we we can see an attempt, particularly by a Tory or a Republican government, to silence us, but it doesn't for long, okay? And and that's the that's the good thing about the spirit of the people is that they know when to keep pushing. being of no conscience whatsoever, I have to thank you, my
3: friend. We have been talking with you Mr. You have
4: a conscience. You have a very strong conscience, my friend. That's why we are friends.
3: Thank you so very much, my brother. Uh, We've been talking to Dennis Campbell, international author, political analyst, uh, consultant to some of the best news agencies this world knows. Mr. Campbell, thank
4: you so very much for your time. Always a pleasure, my friend.
0: And we have Janine Maloff on the line. How's it going, Janine?
5: Hey, Brooke. I'm good. I'm just going to go straight into it. Like everyone else, I'm talking about the Capitol shooting, and hopefully my voice will hold up. By now, the events of this past Wednesday have filled the airwaves with opinions that have ranged from stern denunciation of what can only be called a rabid lynch mob to cowardly offerings of some kind of false equivalency between Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and Trump's neo-Nazis. The mere fact, uh, me, that any mainstream corporate journalism, journalists, I'm sorry, could attempt to offer some false equivalency scenario only speaks to the shameful state of corporate-run news, where actual journalists have been replaced with overpaid media stenographers. There is no equivalency here between the progressive left and the alt-right. Trump supporters were showing their true colors. As they paraded not only the MAGA slogan, but some others that were clearly reflecting Nazi gold, among which were Camp Auschwitz, where work sets you free, and 6MWE, which stands for 6 million wasn't enough. Confederate flags were flying and Trump's minions had erected the all-too-familiar gallows, complete with the requisite hangman's noose, that was a main fixture in the racist lynch mobs of the South. My own U.S. Senator, shamefully enough, Josh Hawley, offered a fist pump in support of these white supremacists and Nazis. While many conscientious white allies are shocked by these events, I am not. Before Trump, there were warnings and other vicious attacks on the very nature of democracy and human rights itself. These attacks by the alt-right were either attributed by the press to the idea of a lone wolf, a mentally deranged person, and as such were minimized to a exclude and protect the proponents of systemic white supremacy and its more efficient but equally racist cousin, Nazism. Before Donald Trump and MAGA, there was the lynch mob, the same lynch mob that murdered Emmett Till and so many others. Before Black Lives Matter and Antifa, there was the murder of President Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. Again, there is no equivalency. And 10 years ago, there was the Tea Party sponsored attacks, on black activists, including here in St. Louis, <gasps> Excuse me, and one white Jewish legislature, legislator, Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. Ten years ago, I investigated rumblings of anti-Semitism in connection with the Giffords shooting. You see, racism, misogyny, and anti-Semitism go hand in hand. The Nazi regime was based on the myth of the white Aryan Superman, and Jews had the same status in Europe then as blacks did here. So I investigated the Tea Party and found that every leader of each Tea Party group in 2011 had proven ties to white supremacist neo-Nazi groups. Since his piece was published, the Tea Party has taken over the GOP and paved the way for Donald Trump. The same Tea Party that was funded by billionaire families known by their last names, Koch, Scafee, Coors, DeVos. Make no mistake, this Tea Party is anything but populist. It's not grassroots. It's the very definition of astroturf. It's bankrolled by the one percent. The barbarians charging the gate on January 6, 2021, are ca- are the cannon fodder serving that same billionaire class, feverishly working to abolish democracy and human rights. <coughs> Excuse me. This article was intended to be an early warning, but the warning went unheeded, as evidenced on January 6, 2021, and ten years later, this article remains relevant. So here it is, different shooting, Tea Party hate speech, and the mainstream GOP. And the reason I'm bringing this here is because this it goes far beyond Donald Trump. Okay. Quite a bit of rhetoric has been spewed forth in the few weeks following the tragic shootings in Tucson by a mentally deranged gunman. The suspect, Jared Lofner, had been allegedly influenced by various extremist writings, read, ranging from Hitler's Mein Kampf to the Communist Manifesto. Parallels were mentally drawn between Lofner's violent actions previewed in his rambling online postings and the shrill chorus of hate speech coming from the far right in the form of the Tea Party movement. When recent Tea Party campaign literature had come to light, the rhetoric of incitement became routine. Former GOP VP candidate Sarah Palin had organized a campaign against various U.S. reps tar- targeting each individual rep in the district with the crosshairs of a gun target. Before the shooting of Gabby Giffords, her opponent, Tea Party candidate Jesse Kelly, sponsored a fundraiser aptly dubbed Shoot an MC 16 with Jesse. And should be mentioned now that Jesse Kelly henlides the new streaming channel meant to be the new, more rabid form of Fox, but on steroids, namely the first. Sherry Redfield, the uh, CEO of Vodcom, should have done her homework before sponsoring Jesse Kelly. That's an aside. Back to the article. In addition, calls from the likes of Glenn Beck were advocating violence against liberals as Beck incited his audience to, quote, shoot them in the head. A few weeks into the new Congress, U.S. Rep. Gabby Giffords, the same representative whose name and district had been targeted by the crosshairs of a gun, had been shot in the head. U.S. Congresswoman Gabby Giffords was critically wounded, and several innocents were murdered in cold blood, including a 9-year-old girl who will never go to her high school prom, get married, or run for political office. President Obama's eulogy for victims. President Obama traveled to Tucson to give a heartfelt eulogy to the survivors in the nation. As far as this speech allowed, we were given the same spirit of kindness and compassion generated by true Christians, and for those words, we thank him. Were his words enough of a response to a nation polarized by various renewed bigotries? No. Though the scene of the eulogy was not the appropriate venue for a political speech, one such speech addressing growing racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, etc., should have been prepared. A call to civility— inadequate when innocents are faced with bigots determined to annihilate them. That call to civility would merely become collaboration with fascists, much as the French Vichy government collaborated with the Nazi threat some 70 years ago. Then we have the condolences sent by Sarah Palin, heavily sermonized and lightly peppered with accusations of her self-perceived persecution by a media-directed blood libel. This is where my outrage begins. Like Congressman Gabby Giffords, I am a Jew. When I heard Sarah Palin's chiding that, quote, journalists and pundits should not manufacture a blood libel, end quote, I could feel that cold, steely hand of prejudice choke off any feelings of condolence on Palin's part. In fact, I was so shocked Palin had the audacity to use this phrase. I had to view her entire speech. Here is the full quote I am citing, the blood libel quote. Quote Vigorous and spirited public debates during elections are among our most cherished traditions. <coughs> And after the election, we shake hands and get back to work, and often both sides find common ground back in D.C. and elsewhere. If you don't like a person's vision for the country, you're free to debate that vision. If you don't like their ideas, you're free to propose better ideas. But especially within hours of a tragedy unfolding, journalists and pundits should not manufacture a blood libel that serves only to incite the very hatred and violence they purport to condemn. That is reprehensible, end quote. And that is from Politico. Now Palin's reference to various journalists and pundits is a slap at opinions and accusations made by the political left, claiming that this violent day was a byproduct of key party hate speech. <coughs> I mean, excuse me. Now Palin's reference to various journalists and pundits is a slap at opinions and accusations made by the political left, claiming that this violent day was a byproduct of key party hate speech inciting violence. More specifically, Palin's own calls for reloading rather than politically retreating. Furthermore, she's chiding the left for callously using this tragedy for a political gain. Whether you believe Palin on this point or those who assign some blame to the growing climate of intolerance and bigotry recorded in the new online media, often by video, supplied by the very same Tea Party movement, is irrelevant. If Palin felt unfairly treated by the left, there are many other ways to express his complaint. Instead, she selected the most vile code phrase used by bigots historically to slander an entire people and, yes, to incite genocide namely the accusation of blood libel. Her buddy, Andrew Breitbart, came to Palin's defense in a piece where Palin explained the definition of blood libel. Here is her take. Quote, It means being falsely accused of having blood on your hands, and in this case, that's exactly what's going on. End quote, and that came from Breitbart. In reality, the definition of blood libel, according to the Concise Oxford Dictionary of World Religions, 1997 edition from John Bowker, is the following. Quote, the accusation that Jews murder non-Jews to obtain blood for Passover rituals. The accusation was repeated in many places in the Middle Ages and was the cause of anti-Jewish riots and massacres. It was a regular motive in anti-Semitic propaganda until the Second World War. This anti-Semitic canard inspired some of the most heinous genocides in Europe, including the Spanish Inquisition and the Holocaust of some 6 million Jews. When a possible presidential contender from the Tea Party abuses this term, Anti-Semitic intent will be suspect. Without meaning to sound politically correct, a presidential contender must carefully choose their words. Often, potentially explosive international incidents can occur when presidents or presidential contenders use words carelessly, especially words which carry such bigoted import. When Mrs. Palin chose the phrase blood libel, she chose a phrase so inflammatory that it rivals Nazi jargon straight from the ranks of the Third Reich. Her remarks regarding blood libel charges were either the byproduct of gross diplomatic incompetence or the a- artifact of an anti-Semitic mind. Though Palin claims to love the Jews and Israel, she has the flag of Israel in her office, she chooses to in- she chose to invoke the most racist anti-Semitic code words known to history. There are those who claim that Palin was using a phrase which is meaningful to evangelical Zionists. That may be, but both Palin and such evangelical groups should not be shocked when Jewish groups scream foul. Prepelling to compare her alleged political persecution to that of the Jewish people throughout the history of the diaspora is disingenuous at best and suspiciously close to what the Tea Party leaders would label a scam. If she has such a poor sense of diplomacy, history, and international relations, then you have to wonder what GOP leaders were thinking, granting her serious consideration as a presidential contender or running mate. Is Palin and the entire Tea Party movement an aberration of the times or a vehicle mainstream GOP corporatists are using to fully enact a corporate dictatorship? In short, how mainstream is the Tea Party and various Tea Party stars, such as Sarah Palin, Michelle Bachman, Andrew Breitbart, and others? Since Palin's most recent blunder, I decided to contact GOP leaders regarding her politics in the Tea Party, her competence, and obviously her choice of diplomatically explosive language, which has aired internationally. I contacted via phone the offices of GOP Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, her former presidential running mate, Senator McCain, and House Majority Leader John Boehner. So each office took a message which was meant for each legislator's respective press secretary. No responses were received as of this writing. During this war of words between the Tea Party, Sarah Palin, and the Jewish American community, various mainstream GOP politicians have offered Modest criticisms or corrections of Palin's blood libel sh- blood libel shout out. The overall impression becomes one of cautious coddling of Tea Party grandam Palin and an equally cautious political distancing from what could be a media implosion. Even the politically even the political left, including the Anti Defamation League, offered anemic statements of regret rather than outrage. Very little was said about the possibility this term was used as political code to various white supremacist, anti-Semitic, and neo-Nazi groups. Consequently, I decided to investigate the relationship between the Tea Party, the Tea Party consultants, the mainstream corporate-led GOP, and, of course, Sarah Palin. The media implosion to come, a.k.a. the politically incestuous relationship between official GOP, Koch Family Foundation, and the Tea Party. Two of the major Tea Party gurus are former House Majority Leader Dick Armey and former senior economist at the Republican National Committee, Matt Kibbe. Both men have been the recipients of Koch family money in various incarnations. Koch Industries is the largest privately held corp- corporation in the U.S., rivaling the likes of Microsoft. In short, Koch Industries is the mainstream GOP. Presently, Army and Kibbe run the Tea Party consulting group FreedomWorks. Recent reports in progressive media have linked Koch Industry and our Koch family foundation money to alleged Tea Party astroturf group, groups, FreedomWorks and Americans for Prosperity. Officially, the Koch Industries Communications Director has stated that the Koch family does not fund FreedomWorks. A closer examination of that statement reveals an interesting double talk. Here is the statement provided by that same Communications Director. Quote, Koch companies value free speech and believe it is good to have more Americans engaged in key policy issues. That said, Koch companies, the Koch Foundation, Charles Koch, and David Koch have no ties and have never given money to FreedomWorks. In addition, no funding has been provided by Coke companies, the Coke Foundations, Charles Koch, or David Koch, specifically to support the Tea parties, and that's from Kirks and liars. Specifically is the key word, which makes previous word parsing look so inconsequential, that it's the semantic equivalent of being a little bit pregnant. Ultimately, you know the end result. Closer examination reveals some interest in public relations and legal wrangling with an entity little known outside the D.C. K Street Beltway, by the name of Citizens for a Sound Economy, or CSE. CSE versus FreedomWorks. Different names, same players, same funders. Like far too many things in D.C., the revolving door rules to with Tea Party apparatchiks as well. CSE, or Citizens for a Sound Economy, was a predecessor to FreedomWorks. Spearheaded with money from the Koch brothers, the Kors family, and the Olin and Scafi foundations respectively, CSE morphed into FreedomWorks in 2004. Additionally, the CSE Foundation was rebranded that year and became the second astroturf group, Americans for Prosperity. In fact, between 85 and 2002, CSE received some 12 million from the Kochs alone. Furthermore, David Koch is a co-founder of CSE. So much for alleged outsider status. <coughs> What's also interesting is the curious link between mainstream GOP leaders, the Tea Party extremists, and the hate speech that punctuates Tea Party rallies featuring broadcast icons. Like Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, and Andrew Breitbart. When examining Glenn Beck's 912 project, which staged the first Tea Party march in DC in September of 2009, we find Freedom Works under Dick Armey responsible for the logistical planning of that event. Each funded bristled at any suggestion of Tea Party sympathies and or support for racist, anti Semitic, or neo Nazi groups, whereas they collectively accused the political left of the very fascism routinely seen on parade at Tea Party rallies. The evidence often found on Tea Party sites proves the talking heads to be raving liars. Below is a small list of party leaders supporting white supremacists and neo-Nazi ties. Excuse me. Here we go. Judson Phillips, Tea Party Nation president. Tea Party Nation president Judson Phillips has a peculiar view of various constitutional rights, especially voting rights. On November 17, 2010, Judson advocated restricting voting rights solely to citizens who own property. He's also got a record pushing the repeal of the 14th Amendment, which grants citizenship to immigrant children born here, and repeal the 17th Amendment which, Amendment, which mandates the public election of U.S. senators. <coughs> Judson sounds more like a political royalist than a populist. I'm going to skip ahead. Judson responded to the Gifford shooting by sending a flurry of mass emails to Tea Party Nation members, urging them to scapegoat liberals for the event. Sal Russo, chief strategist of Tea Party Express. So a colleague of Judson, Sal Russo, chief strategist of Tea Party Express, told Fox News that suspect Jared Lefner was, quote, obviously a leftist. He admired Mein Kampf and the Communist Manifesto. These are are not volumes that are popular with the Tea Party. He was obviously a left-wing anarchist. He was probably anti-Semitic, end quote. Russo's poor command of history fails to realize that Hitler despised communists and included that group in the final solution for extermination. Furthermore, Karl Marx was a Jew who wrote the manifesto as a remedy to the extreme poverty and cruelty of the czars. 1776 Tea Party, Steve Eichler and Tim Bueller. is connected to the Minutemen Project, which has been implicated in the murder of nine-year-old Brisenia Flores and her father, Raul Flores, in Arizona. Both Brisenia and her father were murdered in a home invasion conducted by Minutemen members and directed by their border operations director, Shawna Ford. According to incident accounts, Brisenia's father was shot then her mother. When Brasenia asked why they shot her mother, one of the minute men responded by pointing a gun at her head and firing off two rounds. And that was according to the Daily Beast, and that took place in 2009. The similarity of Brasenia's execution, gunshots to the head at close range, <coughs> but the Gifford shooting is not accidental. This execution style has been sponsored by the cable television program of Glenn Beck. Beck has preached violent executions of President Obama, former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and so on. His prescribed execution style, shoot him in the head before they shoot you, end quote, is filmed with Beck seated at a desk in front of a swastika decorated board. And that's according to Alternet. Beck issued a denunciation of very violence he incited earlier on 110-11 after the Gifford shooting. Attorneys for Fox have denied any responsibility or incitement from Beck's multiple broadcasts where he routinely fantasized about violent murders of political opponents. Larry Pratt. He's a member of part. He was a member of Tea Party Nation in the 1776 Tea Party. His more prominent affiliation with various hate groups dates back to 92 when he was a speaker at a combined meeting of Aryan Nation leaders, Ku Klux Klan's men, and Christian identity adherents. The Christian identity movement labeled Jews as satanic and persons of color as mud people. Pratt wrote a booklet which espoused militias assuming the, to assume the role and power of law enforcement. After Pratt's views and questionable associations went public, he was forced to resign as Pat Buchanan's Republican Party campaign co-chair in '96. Peter Gemma. Gemma is a member of the ResistNet Tea Party faction, serves as the head of design, marketing, and advertising of the Council of Conservative Citizens newsletter. The Council of Conservative Citizens officially recognizes Confederate flags and aligns itself with other white nationalists. Gemma is also a Holocaust denier and has been a featured speaker at the Institute for Historical Review, a virulent anti-Semitic group, rewritten written pieces advocating against non-white immigration, claiming that such immigrants were transforming the U.S. population into, quote, a slimy brown mass of blob, end quote. And I'm going to need those extra five minutes. Billy Roper, his dream of violent genocide. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, Roper is, quote, the uncensored voice of violent neo-Nazism, end quote. Roper is with, was with the National Alliance, a group spouting obvious Nazi sympathies. Shouts of Sieg Heil" and the wearing of swastikas are routine. The National Alliance was founded by William Pierce, the author of the infamous Turner Diaries. (coughs) Excuse me. The Turner Diaries were designed as a blueprint for violent overthrow of the U.S. government. Roper became the deputy membership coordinator, attempting to draw sympathizers from various Tea Party groups, but was fired from the National Alliance after Pierce's death for, quote, tactical as well as personal differences, end quote, and that's from the anti-defamation League. The most effective way to denounce Roper's bigotry is to use his own words. In a 2005 interview on Blood and Honor Radio, Roper gave his sentiments regarding peaceful coexistence between races. To quote Billy Roper, quote, Every non-white on the planet has to become extinct. We need to remove these minority minor league amateur races out of the game and refine the playoff brackets a bit if you get my meaning. The whole world is ours, and the only part of the earth that non-whites should inherit is however much it requires to cover them, end quote. Roper claims that any accusations of racism, anti-Semitism, et cetera, are nothing but mere byproducts of a Jewish-controlled media. I didn't know that Rupert Murdoch or Sean Hannity were Jews. Roper's delusional thinking continues, as he explains the term racist, is merely an adjective for, quote, quote, one who is an advocate of or for one's own people, end quote, and not the pejorative insult it has been fashioned into the National Socialist Movement, the white supremacist group sharing sentiments similar to other neo-Nazi groups, they have a 25-point plan for retaking the nation, which includes a virtu- which includes a virtual call for succession from the Union. They also demand that all non-whites residing in the US be required to leave and return to, quote, their land of origin, end quote, peaceably or by force. And that is from their 25 points plan. The fact that calls for succession constitutes treason does not enter into the discussion. In spite of the overt declaration easily found online at the website, no federal prosecution has occurred. In this case, Julian Assange is a traitor for publishing what the press should have covered, and neo-Nazis advocating succession are left in the safe zone. Mainstream GOP cannot divorce itself from Tea Party incitement to riot. In light of recent hate crimes against anyone deemed not white enough, Christian enough, the mainstream GOP must decide which side they represent. Simple statements of mild denunciation are not acceptable. Rather, they represent premeditated collaboration with insane bigots. Various Tea Party candidates are now officeholders in the U.S. Congress. They include the self-appointed titular head of Tea Party, Inc., Capitol Hill Division Senator Jim DeMint. DeMint is also the top Senate recipient of Coke Industries PAC money. Other Tea Party congresspersons include Michelle uh, Bachman and Representative Mike Pence. The House GOP Conference Chair. None of these officeholders have denounced any white supremacists or neo Nazis in the ranks of various Tea Party groups. Gabrielle Giffords' opponent, Jesse Kelly, and his neo Nazi affiliations. Jesse Kelly ran against, his Tea Party candidate ran against Gabby Giffords, also retains ties to these hate groups while showing no compassion towards his slain competitor. It should be noted that he did issue actually a, a statement of condolence after the fact, but at this time he didn't. Um, Kelly accepted support from a group named ALIPAC, which, according to McCain's spokesman, Brian Rogers, allegedly, quote, backed by white supremacists, neo-Nazis, and anti-Semites. Okay. Shortly after the peak, quote, was issued, McCain did a flip-flop and attempted to justify Kelly's acceptance of ALIPAC support by stating that, quote, a lot of people support me that I don't agree with, end quote. And just because they support me doesn't mean anything about my views. To date, the Alipac group has been condemned by the Anti-Defamation League and subsequently outed for their affiliation with the neo-Nazi group, a.k.a. the National Socialism Movement. Uh, The following DCCC press release reported Kelly's acceptance of Alipac endorsement, quote, in his questionnaire seeking Alipac's endorsement this year, Kelly signed a pledge that he would use the full power of my office, including impeachment if necessary, to force the president to bow to the group's radical demands, end quote. The King's office has not issued another comment since on this issue of national importance. In conclusion, after reviewing numerous sources, one thing has become clear. There is no separating the Tea Party, the white supremacists, and neo-Nazis in the ranks, the mainstream GOP leadership, and a growing corporate oligarchy strangling our democratic experiment. The growing rhetoric of violent incitement and overt Nazism is merely a symptom of a civilization and extreme spiritual to- decay. I'm skip ahead here this piece uh, and and basically we can't continue to reign silent in the face of injustice and cruelty. Otherwise we're nothing more than cowardly collaborators enabling our willing fascist executioners. So I just skip ahead a little. That piece, which I read most of it, I skipped some was written in 2011. Now in 2021, we find Congresswoman Liz Cheney, Dick's daughter, offering a mild denunciation of Trump rioters. Unfortunately, Such denunciation, while welcome again, seems disingenuous. For far too long, the GOP has used the infamous Southern strategy, which wields racism and other bigotries as a cudgel to incite racist Republicans and Libertarians to war against those deemed not Christian enough, not straight enough, not white enough. The GOP is not going to abandon this strategy anytime soon as unofficial party of the 1%. They know those in their ranks are unelectable unless they use racism and the accompanying campaigns of massive voter suppression to maintain power. Their corporate sponsors also know this. Meanwhile, the mainstream, re-corporate-run media have acted as enablers of this growing Nazism for far too long. There is no equivalency between the ranks of progressives dedicated to anti-fascist philosophies and the neo-Nazis of Trump and his GOP. The Trump rioters merely do the GOP's dirty work for them. Afterwards, Republicans like Liz Cheney, Lindsey Graham, Roy Blunt, and yes, Josh Hawley can enjoy their, shall we, conscious pilot moment in the political sun. If there remains any doubt regarding the intent of these Nazi Trump minions, you need look no further than the words, again, of Tea Party leader and neo-Nazi Billy Roper as he said, quote, every non-white on the planet has to become extinct. We need to remove these minor league amateur races out of the game game and refine the playoff pre, playoff brackets a bit, if you get my meaning. The whole world is ours, and the only part of the earth that non-white should inherit is however much it requires to cover them, end quote. President-elect Biden should consider Roper's statement before he commits to civility regarding Trump supporters. As an unknown philosopher once observed, no matter how much a snake sheds skin. It's still a snake. And that's my report.
0: Wow, Janine. And, you know, it just is amazing that this material from 10 years ago is still relevant.
5: 10 years ago.
0: Unbelievable.
5: And a- it shocked me. And at the time, the only place, the only publisher that would publish it that had the courage was Rob Call. Wow. Somebody else pretended they didn't hear a thing. Yeah.
0: Okay, yes. then.
5: So, yeah. and So, again, these calls to the facility aren't going to work. Um, we have to enforce, we have to reinstitute and enforce the rule of law, and that's it.
0: Now, 90 rule of law seconds. Is no privilege. That's right. Well, Janine, thank you so much, and I want to remind people to tune in Thursdays at 8 o'clock for janine's uh, environmental justice report and as things continue to unfold we will be bringing you uh pnn extras uh as as needed so uh until next week we uh 60 seconds. hope you stay safe keep wearing your masks and uh um we'll see you next week bye bye